Gospel according to St. Matthew, the ninth chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. And as Jesus sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. And grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is so hard to come and step up to the plate after the person in front of you has just hit a home run. (laughs) And this is why preaching Paul is very hard. The man from Tarsus puts it out there so well that his writing can be very hard to top. It is very difficult to add to greatness. And even if you're the kind of Christian who has problems with Paul, you can't deny his influence and the power of his words. We are sitting here because a German monk, a German Augustinian monk, read the words of the letter to the Romans and changed his entire outlook about who God was for him and thought that others should do the same. And then that same monk's words about the letter to the Romans inspired a young man named John Wesley, who said that in reading Luther's commentary on these words, his heart was strangely warmed. And that's why our brothers and sisters in the Methodist Church exist. So these are probably what we're going to be hearing over the next couple weeks are arguably some of the most influential words ever written in the history of religion. And to explain Paul in 15 minutes, and as many people have made a lifetime of studying him will tell you, in a lifetime, is a challenge. And it's hard to say things more powerfully, more meaningfully, and more clearly than when St. Paul steps up to the plate, belts it out, and rips one out of the park. And so when we hear our letter close with Paul's characteristic rhetorical brilliance, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believed. I am tempted as your preacher to simply read this again and say what he said. Or uh, since we did have Jennifer read today, maybe say that's what she said. And then one sentence, the sermon is over. But I think most of you know me better than that. I won't give you that treat today. I usually don't let you off the hook like that. There is more to say, and and here's the reason why there's more to say today. I think for me, I don't know about for many of you, I think what he said is not really my sermon. I find when I look at my own life, what he said is often my excuse. Now, Paul speaks words that are powerful, sure, but they were written 2,000 years ago. They're far off. I can agree with Paul and say, yep, 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel either. It's a good thing. I love Jesus. I'm a pastor. And then I take this idea that I call the gospel and I just park it into my head with all the other stuff in there, like random facts about the presidents and Martin Luther, facts about Medicare conditions of participation, critiques of roster moves on the Cleveland Indians, and judgments that no matter who they cast as Batman fans, probably including me, will be upset, right? There's a lot going on up here. And so with the gospel in my head as just a good idea, and maybe in certain moments the best idea, right? I'm free to go deal and pay attention to other things. And as much as I love reserving these Sunday hours to hear and shout that he is risen, he is risen indeed, hallelujah, during the rest of the week, I go about my own business. I'm never forced to confront the fact that during the rest of my week, at times, yes, I am ashamed of the gospel terrified to be thought of as a religious guy. I think I shared up here before that one time some of my colleagues were saying really nasty things about Christians and someone went, oh, the chaplain's right there and then someone else went, it's okay, Matt's not like that. I get embarrassed when people apologize for swearing in front of me and I bend over backwards to assure everybody that I'm not that kind of pastor. I'm not judgmental. I don't care what you do. I would rather, I'm going to admit this, I don't know how many of you would agree, I would much rather invite a friend to my colonoscopy than invite them to church. <laughs> and I behave in a way, right? I don't want to be seen as the religious guy, right? You know, I'm afraid if I invite somebody to church, they're going to think, you know, I'm asking him to join a cult or, you know, going to steal a kidney from them. And <laughs> I behave sometimes in a way from time to time behind the wheel of my car that forces me to, like, hide my chaplain badge. Or I've done this a few times. I've taken out my collar and then popped my head out the window to scream at somebody, right? <laughs> All those times... Right? I'm forced to confront the ways in my life that I, in fact, am ashamed of the gospel. Right? All the, all, at all times, these, these passages of the Bible become mere words on a page. They don't matter to my daily life. And what he said becomes very different from what I live. And this is the danger that all of us face, I think. We turn the good news of Christ Jesus into just an idea. Sat with a man uh, this week about 48 hours from dying, and he sat me down to tell me, I think the Bible's a lovely story, but there are inconsistencies in it. And I always pretend like I've never thought of that before. <laughs> right? And this is an extreme version of that danger, right? If it's just an idea that you hold up against other ideas, it gets reduced, it gets watered down. And when the words of God in our lives are reduced to a simple what he said from a biblical text or a preacher, all these other what he said, what she said, what they said, and even worse, the what I said start creeping in with nothing. To stop them, right? All these other voices that are out there in the world, right? Whether they're on cable news 
or whether they're internal voices that start telling us how special we are, how entitled we are, how powerful we are, how entitled the race and class we belong to are. And, and, and then our pride can just swell and we become callous to our neighbor and we become callous even with ourselves. And sometimes words start coming in from the other direction. Words telling us how worthless we are, how much we failed, how we can't withstand our worst instincts or flaws, how much we let down someone who meant the world to us, how much our struggle cannot be overcome, or maybe that most persistent voice that sits in the back of your head and says, you're a fraud. When the gospel was reduced to an idea for me, even an idea that I could proclaim and defend, an idea that I handed out like medicine at the hospice and, 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 and treated like a, a rhetorical game in church, what happened to me was that I stopped hearing it. The gospel was just a tool at my disposal. It spoke to others, but not to me. And so I allowed myself to ride this, this, this uh, ego roller coaster, alternately swelling with pride and then getting eaten inside from mistakes I made. The gospel became powerless to counteract my aching fears and uh, what he said from Paul 2,000 years ago couldn't stop the worst ravages of my own mind. But lucky for me, the gospel is more than an idea from 2,000 years ago that I had to believe. Listen to what Paul says that the gospel is. It is the power of God. This is more than an idea, brothers and sisters. It's not the power of me. It's not the power of my thoughts. It's not the power of my church. It's not the power of the books I read. And it is certainly not the power of my own ability to believe. The gospel is the power of God bringing about what God wants to bring about for God's children. The power of God bringing what God wants to bring about for you. And I heard that gospel in a strange place in my own depths when I befriended someone struggling worse than I was. And after our conversation, he embraced me and said, I hope you do wonderful things with your life. No mention of Jesus. No theological words. That was good news to me. Someone else had hope in me. Someone else believed in me. Most of all, it came from words of someone who was not me. Those words reminded me that there's a world outside of my head and that life is not a burden, but it's a gift. It was a true what he said, not an idea to be broken down but a genuine hope based on shared suffering. And this is what the gospel truly is. 
God still is with us. God is speaking to us. And God is filling the entire creation with the good news that nothing stops God from being within us. Or, excuse me, from being with us. The gospel is an announcement. This word in Greek, euangelion, it means new, good news, right? It, for the Greeks, it meant news of victory. A euangelion was something that a messenger would carry to bring to other people in order to provoke celebration, joy, and a feeling of freedom. The most famous example, by, by the way, being uh, any, everyone's seen or has anyone seen the movie 300? Okay. So not that battle. That was the Spartans. But during the same invasion, there was a battle uh, at a place near Athens. And the Greeks prevailed. And uh, they were pretty badly decimated. But one slave by the name of Phidippides ran a great distance. And as the legend goes, as soon as he said the word Nike, meaning victory, he passed out and died. He gave everything he had to give his brothers and sisters in Athens good news. And he ran about 26.2 miles. Does anyone know what the name of the battle was? Marathon, right? That's where we get our marathon, right? And, and um, th this first marathon was ran by a slave running to his brothers and sisters to share good news with them. And I am sure that Paul had this in his mind when he was telling his brothers and sisters in Rome, some of whom who he had met, a place he had longed to be, a church that he didn't start. He, he w wanted to be like a, a, a new Phidippides running to Rome to tell people that he has risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Right? Imagine this joy. Imagine knowing that we have won a battle. Imagine feeling like you've won the lottery, right? Had, you, had anyone seen this show about on TLC about the lottery winners, right? It changes your life. Now, in this show, those of you who watched it, right, did anyone interview these people that won the lottery and say, do you really know that you've won a million dollars? Have you truly decided to participate or to give your heart to the lottery? No. You don't talk like that. It's silly. For the lottery winner, the news is not an idea. It's not something like my patient that you've got to subscribe to. For the lottery winner, that news is life. It's not an idea. It's from outside. And this is precisely why it's good news. And for us, the gospel is this good news. We've had one who did not run 26.2 miles, but who bore a cross to get it to us. And it is announced as often as we can. Sin, death, and the devil are defeated. It is announced every time that we say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And all creation is joining with us in that song. Luther, at one point where he was waxing poetic, said, do you know that the birds proclaim the gospel, that the birds sing good news, but we are just so screwed up, we don't have the ears to hear it right? This good news is announced in all creation. It is all around us. It is a true what he said. But the he is not only the Bible or Paul, or me as your preacher. All of us are just lowly servants 
carrying the message. The true what he said is God speaking to us through Jesus. And it is always good news. And what Jesus says is this. You're mine. I have paid every price for you. Nothing can keep me from you. When you're suffering and think you can't find me, I am beneath you. Shouldering every cross that you carry and shouldering the ones even that you can't carry. When you sin, my grace is greater. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. When you're naked and afraid, I will clothe you with my royal robes. And I will stand next to you in front of my Father's throne. Who you are in me is greater than what anyone says you are. Come here to my house. Come here to Reformation Lutheran Church. Meet my friends in the heart of the city. Be in this place where, where people are fed, where children play, where my story and so many other stories are told, and where people whose society would otherwise keep apart greet each other like old friends. Come here even if you're busy. Come here even if you're tired. Make the drive. I'm not through with you yet, and I've got people for you to take care of. And I want to talk to you over and over again. In me, you have life, and I hope you do beautiful things with it. I love you. And so, when we hear those words of Jesus, I can only say what he said. Amen.